0: Hey, good morning. Thank you so much for coming to worship the Lord with us today. And uh, we're glad that you're here. If, you're, if you are a first-time guest, my name is Keith Shorter, and I'm uh, the senior pastor. But in this service, I, I'm at a, a second service down in the Life Center. Then I run up to do this service. So if you wonder why I'm running in and out, that's the reason. But I want to give you some good news before we get into the message today, just to celebrate and to thank you and to encourage you. Uh, last Sunday, of course, was Easter Sunday. Had great crowds in all of our services, and but more than that, more than the crowds, uh, the gospel was presented, and and we're still processing the cards, trying to make sure we understand how people have marked them. But somewhere in the in the neighborhood of eight to ten people prayed to receive Christ last Sunday, Amen. And there were other decisions that were made to uh, to join the BSF class uh, for baptism, rededication. Those kind of things. So we're just grateful, so grateful for what God did last week. But here's the encouraging thing for you. I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Keep inviting people. Keep bringing people. Uh, Keep uh, investing in people and inviting them to your church family. It makes a difference. It really, really does. And so thank you for doing that. Perhaps my my best story, or my favorite story, I should say, uh, was last Sunday. Young lady in her 20s, right after the... Right after the 11 o'clock service, a young lady in her 20s came out to the tent. And she told me her name. And she said, I'm from Atlanta, just up visiting for the weekend. And came to church today. And she said, Pastor Keith, it was just like you were talking just at me. It, it was like you were, you were just speaking right to me. Like nobody else was in the room. And she said, I want you to know I prayed and received Christ today. So we're just so grateful for that. That's awesome. Now, I hope that God speaks right at you today as well. i want to ask you a question. And I, I bet this is probably a question almost all of us could identify with on some level. But here, here's the thing I want to ask you today is, do you ever sometimes feel frustrated because you can't solve all the problems you see around you? You know, you just see people in need and you see problems and uh, maybe you feel helpless because you hear about a single mom. Who needs a job, or or maybe it's it's that person that you see standing at the intersection with the cardboard sign, you know, and uh, you just feel helpless. It's like what what what, did, what can I do? How can I help folks like this? Or or maybe when you read about the overwhelming lostness in our world, around the world, and even in the United States and in many places, it's ninety eight ninety nine percent of the people don't have a relationship with Jesus, and it's easy just to feel so overwhelmed in that kind of a situation, so helpless. Or maybe it's when you're watching the television and you see about the fires and the floods and hundreds of thousands of people in in jeopardy, their homes are in jeopardy, their lives are in jeopardy, and if if you're like me, many times uh, I hear those stories, I see those stories, I read those stories, and I just feel kind of helpless because I know that I really, truly can't do anything to change their situation. But here's what I want you to understand today. You'll hear me say this more than once throughout the message. None of us can help everyone, but what if for one day we decided to help someone? Think about that. None of us. There's not a person here who can help everyone. But what if for one day we decided to help someone? What if for one day you met the need of someone? What if for one day you served someone? What if for one day you showed someone God's love. And here's the real real kicker. Uh, What if it wasn't just you doing that? What if it was hundreds of you doing that? Uh, This is so true, isn't it? None of us can help everyone. But what if for one day we all decided to do something to help someone? There's a story in the New Testament that shows the amazing things that can happen in just one day when we decide to try to help someone, the amazing things that God can do in just one day when we decide we want to help someone and try to make a difference in their lives. The story that I'm talking about is found in Luke chapter 5. If you want to open to the gospel of Luke chapter 5, though for many of you this will be a familiar story, uh, I hope that it will, God will use it in a very special way to open your eyes, and I want to give you the backstory story to the story, because there is a story that leads up to the story we're going to be reading about. And here's the back story. In the previous chapters of Luke, Jesus has been out in the countryside teaching and healing and casting out demons. And, and right before this story that we're going to read about, right before this story, Jesus heals a man of leprosy, the dreaded disease of leprosy. When he healed this man of leprosy, it was like lighting a fuse. Because all of a sudden, there was it generated so much excitement. It generated so much anticipation. It generated so much interest because they saw Jesus not just heal someone who, who perhaps was sick, but now they saw Jesus do the impossible. They saw Jesus heal a man of leprosy. Once his skin was covered with, with leprous sores and then suddenly... His skin was clean. It was clear. And when they saw this, it generated so much interest, so much excitement about Jesus, that people literally were coming from everywhere to see Him and to hear Him. In fact, Mark tells us in his story of Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark says that when Jesus got home after healing the leper, that when He got home in Capernaum, that so many people, and this is from Mark, and I quote, so many people gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, as he preached the word to them. In other words, Mark said once he got home to Capernaum, there were so many people there, so many people that that they couldn't all fit in the house, and they were outside the house, they were at the windows, they were around the house, they they were out in the street, they were just everywhere, hoping to see, hoping to hear, hoping to touch, hoping to... To have him do something for them as well, now, with that in mind, before we read this story, I want you to imagine one other thing. All of this occurred by the way in the in the little town of Capernaum. What if you lived in that town, but you couldn't get to him? What if you lived in that town and you heard that Jesus was there, and the excitement was you could You could hear the buzz in the community. The excitement was was very real and everybody was going to go see Jesus and, and you heard about the crowd and all that kind of thing. But what if you wanted to go to Jesus but you couldn't get there? That's what happened to one of the key figures in this story we're going to be reading. In Luke chapter 5, beginning of verse 17, we'll read it in just a moment. This man is not addressed as far as a name. We're not given his name. We are told... He's described, and he's described as a paralyzed man. This paralyzed man had two problems. The first problem is this. The first problem is that even if he wanted to go to Jesus, he couldn't make it on his own. And this was back before you know, the, the kind of things that we have today, wheelchairs and those kind of things. This man is paralyzed, and he can't get to where he wants to go. And he knows that Jesus is in Capernaum. Now, we don't know for sure. Jesus could have been just right down the street from him, but he might as well have been across the world from him because there's no way he's going to get there. Not on his own. That's his first problem. His second problem was this. Even if he got there to the house, there were so many people in the house and around the house, there was no way he was going to get to Jesus. There was no way he was going to see Jesus. There was absolutely no way to get to him. But this man was a fortunate man indeed, because he had four friends, and you know, lots of you already know the story, but he had four friends. Just kind of walk with me through this story today. He had four friends that cared about him, four friends that believed that Jesus could make a difference in his life. And so these four friends did something amazing to get their friend to Jesus. So now, that's kind of the background to the story. Listen begin to pick up the story in chapter 5, verse 17, one day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village in Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. I want you to notice the popularity of Jesus now. At this point in his ministry, there are people coming from everywhere. It says they they come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and and Jerusalem. uh, They're hearing about him all over the country. And they're coming to see him. And they were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. And some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to make it take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. You know, I want you to try to imagine this scene as it unfolds. These four friends, these four men are carrying this paralyzed man to see Jesus. And this massive crowd is in the way. And it says that they were. They were trying. Did you notice this? Uh, let me find the verse again. Uh, verse 18. Some men carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. In other words, they were trying to get in, but the doors were blocked. They were trying to get in, but the crowd was too great. They were trying to get their friend to where he needed to be, but there was there was just no way to do it. And then these four guys, somebody in this group of four had a plan. I would love to have been there when somebody said, I've got an idea. Here's what we need to do. Somebody said, let's go over the crowd. We can't get through the crowd. Let's go over the crowd. Now, the Bible doesn't say which of the four men came up with the idea. But whoever came up with the idea, I bet the other three turned to him and said, you want us to do what? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's in the it's in the Bible. I mean, it, it, it's it's a great story in the Bible. No, it wasn't in the Bible yet. And so they're looking at this man like, "You want us to do what?" And let me explain what they did. The the houses in that day in 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 Capernaum and all of Palestine, the houses had a flat roof, and, or if you're from Texas, you say roof, but the the the, the roof is is flat. And there was often an outside staircase that led up to this flat roof, and it became like a patio. It became like a place where you just hang out at night or in the mornings, that kind of thing. And here's how the roofs were made. There were wooden beams that went across from wall to wall, and in between the wooden beams they would put sticks and brush and that kind of thing, in between, kind of as a holder. And then they would pack that area with mud. And so you have the wooden beams, you have the sticks, kind of the filler kind of a thing, and then they'd pack that area with mud, and then on top of all of that, they'd put a layer of dirt, and then on top of that, that there there would be grass. I had a nice patio area on, on the roof of your house. So these four guys took their friend up the steps, they carried him up the steps, they carried him to the top onto the roof, and then Mark says in his gospel, in his account, that they literally dug a hole. In the roof. That's the reason that Mark says they were digging. It's because there was a layer of dirt there, and then there was the mud and all that. So, so they're digging through this debris, digging through this roof, trying to make a hole, so they can put Jesus or put the man down through the hole to see Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine this because it is such a familiar story to a lot of you. I want you to imagine this, this scene from two different perspectives. First of all, I want you to imagine this scene from the eyes of the people who are sitting in the house. Those people are just sitting there listening to Jesus teach. Now, now they're tuned in, they're focused, they're excited because they finally have an audience with Jesus. They finally had the opportunity to see him and to hear him and to learn from him. And suddenly there is a noise and everyone stops and looks up. And when they stop and look up, there's this trickle of dust falling down. And they're looking at one another like, what in the world is that? And all of a sudden, there's a sliver of light that begins to break through. There's, there's a little hole in the roof. There's a sliver of light. And then that trickle of dust turns into debris beginning to fall Chunks of debris beginning to fall. And then suddenly, sunlight is flooding the room because there's this hole in the roof. And then, then all of a sudden, there's four heads that poke through the hole looking around. And if you're in this crowd and you're watching Jesus and listening to Jesus, all of a sudden this happens. You're looking at one another like, what in the world? And so, let's read the story, chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, verse 19. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, and I love this, right in front of Jesus. The man is lowered all the way to the ground right in front of Jesus, and everyone is sitting there in shock at what they're seeing, and they're, they're shocked and they're perhaps a little angry at the audacity of these people to interrupt this special time All they could see was a destroyed roof and a big distraction. Now, same scene. Let's look at the same scene through the eyes of Jesus. Imagine that you're sitting there and you're listening to Jesus and Jesus is is sitting or standing and he's teaching the crowd and all of a sudden there's a noise. And like everybody in the room, he looks up and, and there's this dust that begins to fall. And then there's this sliver of light, and everybody's looking, trying to figure out what's happening. And then suddenly the dust turns into chunks of debris that begin to fall, crumble, and, and fall down right in front of Jesus. And, and then all of a sudden there's this, this shaft of light that begins to appear because that hole suddenly gets bigger and bigger, and there's this shaft of light that just floods the room. And, and you're looking up if you're Jesus, and, and all of a sudden you look, as you're looking up, four heads poke through the hole looking around. Now, if you're Jesus looking at this, I don't think that you're looking up um, angry. I think you're looking up with a smile on your face. I just just think he's smiling at these guys, saying, look at these guys. And all of a sudden, they they drop, lower this man down, and they lower him down and drop this paralyzed man right in front of Jesus. the Bible doesn't say this, but I really believe that Jesus had to smile And marvel at their great faith. Mark Batterson wrote a book called The Circle Maker. And in that book he said, faith is the willingness to look foolish. So that's a pretty good definition. Faith is the willingness to look foolish. And then he went on to say, in order to experience a miracle, you have to take a risk. And one of the most difficult types of risk to take is risking your reputation. He went on to say, you cannot build God's reputation if you aren't willing to risk yours. You don't take the risk, he said, you forfeit the miracle. So, with that whole scene in mind, I want you to pay attention now to what Jesus said. As all of this unfolded right in front of him, I want you to pay attention to what Jesus said. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, would you notice in the text here in verse 20, it says, when Jesus saw their faith. It doesn't say when Jesus saw his faith. It says when Jesus saw their faith, their being the friends, the, the four men who, who lowered him down, the four men who dug a hole in the roof. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Here's what I begin to wonder as I study this text. It was their faith. Watch this, watch this. It was their faith that was the catalyst to this miracle. Their faith that brought this man to Jesus. Now, I'm sure that this paralyzed man had faith in Christ, but it was the friend's faith that overcame the obstacles that brings him to Jesus. And the question I like to ask you is, have you ever thought about what is it that perhaps stops people from coming to faith in Christ. Sometimes, maybe it's not a lack of their faith. Maybe it's a lack of our faith. Maybe it's our faith that would give up too easily. Maybe it's a lack of our faith that would cause us to stop and say, no, this is not going to work. Maybe it would be a lack of our faith that wouldn't keep pressing. We wouldn't keep going. We wouldn't keep trying to get this person to Jesus. Perhaps... Perhaps the reason sometimes people never come to faith in Christ is because those who are to bring them to Christ lack the faith to do so. As I was looking at this story, <clears throat> as I was looking at this story, I, I had to think a little bit about my family and thank the Lord for my family. And I bet some of you could do this too because the family that I was raised in removed a lot of the obstacles for me coming to faith in Christ you see i didn't have the obstacles that some of you have faced in coming to faith in Christ because my family brought me up in church i went to church before i was born in in, in my mom's womb and, and and then after i was born i was i was there shortly right after i right after she gave birth to me and then i I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I we we read the Bible together. We prayed together. I, they had a they set a great example for me of what a Christian is. You see, a lot of the things that would be obstacles for people in putting their faith in Christ, I didn't have those because my mom and dad kind of moved those obstacles away for me. And I'm grateful for that. But my question is. What about those people who did not have what I had? What about those folks who do have obstacles? What about those folks who weren't raised in the kind of family I was raised in? They don't have the spiritual background like I had. They don't have all the answers uh, given to them like, like I did. What about those people who find it difficult to put their faith in Christ? What do we do about them? If we can learn anything from these four men, we ought to learn that we need to do whatever we can to try to help these people get to where Jesus is. And we say, well, what does that mean? Well, I want to ask you another question. How is it that these guys finally got to the point where they said, let's just dig the roof up. Let's just dig a hole and lay, what causes somebody to do that? There's two things. I want you to write these two words down or at least remember them. This, this is kind of the, the heart of what I want to share with you today. There's, there's two things that, that caused these guys to take this action. First of all, the first word is compassion. They had a real compassion for this man. They recognized that whether this man walked or remained paralyzed for the rest of his life, rested in their hands because he could not get to Jesus on his own. They recognized that there was no way that this man could get to Jesus on his own. And so it was their compassion that compelled them. It was their compassion that pushed them. It was their compassion that that drove them to do what they did. They they believed that they, they had this compassion. This guy needs help, and we can't help everyone. But what if we tried to help someone? What if we tried to help him? So it's compassion. The second word is this. It's the word conviction. I like this word, the word conviction. And here's what I mean by the word conviction. These four guys were so convicted, so convinced, that Jesus was the answer to this man's problem, that Jesus could change this man's life, that Jesus could heal this man and, and help him in what he was facing. They were convicted and convinced. They had this conviction of That drove them to keep trying. This conviction that drove them to do something out of the ordinary. Now put those two words together. Compassion for those in need. Conviction that Jesus is the answer for those people. Doesn't that kind of sound like the way we ought to operate as a church? Does that sound like the way that maybe you and I should be functioning? That, doesn't that sound like something that ought to drive us? Just a compassion for those who are in need. Just a real compassion for those who are hurting. A real compassion for those who are struggling. A real compassion for those who can't get to Jesus on their own. Compassion, but also conviction. Conviction that Jesus is the answer. Conviction that Jesus can change lives. And when we have that compassion and that conviction... That's when you see God do things that only God can do. Samuel Chadwick once wrote these words. He says, why does the church stay indoors? I thought that was an awesome question. Why does the church stay indoors? In other words, what he was saying is this. Why aren't we going out there to where the people are who are not yet in the group? You see, there was another group of people in that house that I haven't talked a whole lot about and the group of people, people in that house were the people who were already inside. They were sitting there. They were listening to Jesus. And they were quite content, quite satisfied because they were listening to Jesus. Quite content, quite satisfied because they were part of the crowd. They were part of the already convinced. And the already convinced were there. And they didn't realize it, but they were really a barrier for this man getting to Jesus. They didn't intend to be a barrier, but they were because they were just sitting there. The already convinced were sitting there, not really concerned about those who are not yet there. Not concerned about who who else needs to be here. Who else needs Jesus? Who else needs to come in here? Uh, They're they're sitting with the already convinced in the crowd. And it was an obstacle for the one who, who needed him most. And so today, here's what I want you to understand. I want our church to be a church that goes outside. I want our church to be a church that doesn't stay indoors. And so we've set aside a day coming up on May the 6th that we call Love Loud. It's a day where we're going to get outside and be reminded that real love meets needs. It's a day where we're going to be reminded because of our compassion that we have for people in need, and our conviction that Jesus is the answer that can change people's lives, we're going to have a day called Love Loud. And, and for some of you, you're new here and you don't know what Love Loud is, so let me explain it to you real quickly. Love Loud is just a one-day mission trip to our community. It's where the church members go outside. And we go out there and we just try to meet people's needs. We just try to love people and show them the love of God. It's designed to give everyone in your family, from children all the way to senior adults, the opportunity to go serve in the name of Jesus. Now, we have already seven or eight teams that are full. But we also have opportunity for some of you to join one of the teams that are not yet full. There are about seven teams that are still open that are not yet full. Uh, for example, the block party team. We're, we need people who can do setup stuff and, and cook and man the inflatables and all that kind of thing. We've got a Bel Air ministry team. This is a, a ministry to the Greenville inner city uh, folks and after-school and summer programs for children. Uh, Christian Learning Center, cleaning and release time buses and helping get them ready for next year. Uh, adopt a school, assisting our local schools with a field day event to raise money for food for needy families. Opportunity Village at the Dream Center, finishing a, a couple of tiny houses. If you can paint or something like that, help them finish some tiny houses uh, for the homeless. A health fair ministry, doing blood pressure checks and a blood drive. And then the Miracle Hill Renewal Center, working at a transition house for women walking away from drug addictions. So, so what we're trying to do is say, you know, we can't help everyone, but, but what, if, what if one day we decided to help someone? What if one day we, we just decided, you know, we're going to get outside the house. We're going to get outside the building. We're not just going to be part of the crowd that's content to sit and listen. But we're going to go out there and try to find somebody who, that we can help. Driven by our compassion for those who are in need and our conviction that Jesus can make the difference in somebody's life, we're going to go. And so here's what I need you to do. I need you today. Not tomorrow, not next week, but today. Because this is coming up on Saturday, the May 6th. We'll have breakfast at 8 o'clock. About 8.45, 9 o'clock, we'll send you out to go serve. I need you today to go sign up for this. These flyers are out in the lobby there on the tables. As, you, as you're going out the doors, look to your left or right on the tables. The flyers will be out there. Other places where you get your bulletins, you can get them as well. The, the key thing is I need you to sign up today so that we can get people on our teams and, and get the information to our leaders. So please, please, please fill it out today before you leave. Now, I want you to see how this story ends. Look, look how this, I love how this story ends. Let's start up, uh, pick up the story, verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now notice they didn't say this to one another. It says they were thinking this, all right? Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? I want to ask you, which is easier? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no way to verify that. Anybody can say your sins are forgiven. But to say to a paralyzed man, get up and walk, that's a little harder because it either happens or it doesn't happen. All right, so, so Jesus turns to these people and he says, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Verse 23, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But that you may know, now he's talking to the Pharisees and the people in the house right now. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, dot, dot, dot. Do you see that? He's talking to the people, to the leaders, those who are questioning why he's doing what he's doing. And he says to them, but that you, so that you will know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, dot, dot, dot. Then he turns to the paralyzed man. And he says to the paralyzed man, this is amazing, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. I love verse 25. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. I bet he was, don't you? Verse 26. This this is the part I want you to see. I love the way this ends. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. I want you to experience that. I want us to experience that. I want us, on the, when we come to the end of May 6th, I want us just to praise God and say, you know what, we've seen some amazing things today. I want you to be able to say, hey, I'll tell you what, we went to that women's shelter, and I want to tell you what God did in this lady's life, and I just want you to be able to celebrate, we've seen some amazing things today. None of us can help everyone. But what if, for one day, we all decided to help someone? Why don't we do that on May 6th? Let's bow your heads with me. Verse 17 begins, the first two words of verse 17, at least in the NIV, Every head bowed, every eye closed. The first two words in verse 17, as the story begins, the first two words are these. One day. One day. It's amazing what God can do in one day. I wonder how many lives God could touch in just one day. If hundreds of us, if hundreds of us went out on May 6, driven by compassion for those who are in need and driven by a conviction that God could help them. Would you please join this team? Not just to say, we've got your your name. Would you please join this team so that we could, at the end of all of this, on the end of May 6th, we could be amazed at what God did and say, we have seen amazing things today. Father, I pray that'll be true. I pray that as we love loud, as we love in deed and in truth, and not just with our words, but as we go into the community, as we share, uh, share your love in, in simple but yet powerful ways, as we demonstrate your grace and your mercy through our actions, I pray that you will make the difference in people's lives. May Jesus be honored and glorified and may lives be changed for eternity. And may our lives be changed because we were part of it. In Christ's name I pray, amen.